you've been paying attention to the colors around Christ Church, you will notice we've had some color changes rather recently. For a while, we were wearing white all over in celebration of the glory of the resurrection for Easter season. And then for a brief weekend, we had on red, red for the fire of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And now you will notice that we are all in green. And we will remain in green until about November. We are now in the long, green, ordinary time. Of all the seasons of the liturgical calendar, ordinary time is perhaps the most misunderstood. And this is perhaps because it has so many names. Some call it Trinity Tide. Some call it the time after Trinity. Some call it the time after Pentecost. I've heard some churches even call it kingdom time. Ordinary time literally means not extraordinary time. It's a time of no feasting, a time of no fasting. We see this in the Latin title for ordinary time in the Roman Missal, tempus per annum, the time during the year. That is a brilliant summation of this season. What's going on? Why are we wearing green? Are we just randomly picking scriptures because we feel like it? Well, no, there's actually something going on here. Green is for growth. Ordinary time is a season for growth, but growth into what? We get a hint of this if we pay attention to the gospel readings during ordinary time. Last week, Father Stephen preached a great sermon on the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. This week, we have a reading from the mission discourse in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. In fact, most, if not all, of the Gospel readings during ordinary time focus on mission. And for that reason, I personally like to think of ordinary time as mission time. Or if we were in England, we might say mission tide. The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 tells us the what of mission. We are to go, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. But this morning, in Matthew chapter 10, we have the who of mission. And I have three who questions that I want to answer this morning by looking at our gospel lesson. You can pull out your Bibles with me, write these down if it will be helpful. The three who questions are, whose mission is it? Who is called? And to whom are they sent? Like I said, I want to answer each one of these this morning by walking our way through the gospel. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to begin with verse 35. We begin with Jesus on mission to the cities and villages of Galilee. And he is doing three things. He's teaching in the synagogues, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he's healing every disease and affliction. Remember these three, because they will show up again in a little bit. But there is a problem. There are too many people. Matthew says there are crowds around Jesus. These crowds are pressing in on him. This is way too much ministry for one person to do alone. So Jesus turns to his disciples 
and he invites them to join with him on his mission. Verse 37 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This Greek word here, harvest, it implies that the work has already begun. Jesus has started it himself. What he needs are co-workers, co-laborers, to join with him on this harvest of his. It reflects a common practice that was in the ancient world. We see this reflected in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. Often when landowners had a really big harvest, they would invite laborers throughout the day to help hasten its completion. Why? Well, because if you don't harvest the crops fast enough, some might rot or plants might die or animals might come and eat it or worse yet, thieves may steal some. You want to hasten the completion of the harvest. But just because laborers participate in the harvest, it does not mean that the harvest belongs to them. The harvest is the Lord's. The harvest belongs to Jesus. And Jesus is inviting his laborers to participate with him. Not because he can't do it on his own, but because it's faster if more people are involved. As the saying goes, many hands make light work. This brings up a really important lesson for us Christians today. We must remember that the mission belongs to God. Whose mission is it? It is the Lord's. The mission of the disciples, which is described in chapter 10, verses 7 through 8, it's the same work that Jesus starts in chapter 9, verse 35, teaching, proclaiming, healing diseases. Jesus cares more about the success of this mission than the disciples do because it's his. It's his harvest. But sometimes we who co-labor with Jesus forget this, and we try to do the mission ourselves. We usurp God's authority and take the mission on of our own. And you know what happens when we do this? The mission of God becomes a heavy burden, and we burn out. During my time at Christ Church, I have heard so many stories, and I've met so many people who came to faith in one of the many churches in the North Dallas area. There's churches doing great work. They're evangelizing new believers. They're making disciples. They're sending people out on mission only to have these same Christians burnt out and hurt by their leaders, burned by the church. The knowledge that the mission belongs to Jesus is a safeguard against burnout. It protects us from the idea that we have to bear it ourselves, that it is our work to do. It sets us free from the measures and expectations of success. If you hear churches talking about success, that's a telltale sign they're owning God's mission for themselves. As Mother Teresa said so well, we are not called to be successful, but faithful. And she can speak about this. She's qualified. For many years, she worked in obscurity in the slums of Calcutta. She only had four or five other co-workers. 
They were as poor as the people that they served. For many years, she didn't even feel God's presence. By most estimations, her work was a failure. But her ministry was a success because she was faithful. She was faithful to her call to the Lord, and that is what mattered. Question number two. Who is called to go on mission? We get some insight into this question by looking at Matthew chapter 10, verse 2. We get a list of these 12 disciples. And when we look at this list, it's pretty clear that they are not very impressive people. By most measures, they are average, if not below average. They are run-of-the-mill ordinary kind of people for an ordinary time. We have two sets of fishermen brothers. We have a tax collector. We have a radical. We have, to be honest, a bunch of random guys we know nothing about. And we have a traitor. From the very beginning, we know that Judas will betray Jesus. He will fail on his mission. He will not be faithful. This group is the definition of a motley crew. But these are the people that Jesus calls. Jesus doesn't call the best and the brightest. Most of these guys probably couldn't even read, or at least not very well. But these are the people Jesus calls. Jesus sends them out in pairs, in two by two. They're not lone rangers on the Texas frontier. They're not competent enough to do the work alone. So what qualifies them to go on mission? Who are these guys? These are the people that Jesus calls. These are the people that he gives his authority to. And Jesus' call qualifies these ordinary people. And the Lord always equips those who he calls. As I was thinking about uh, this sermon this week, I was reminded of the witness of St. Francis of Assisi, the guy who wrote the opening hymn we all sang together. St. Francis uh, was an Italian in the 11th century. He was born to a pretty average noble family. He wasn't the brightest of his brothers. Uh, He decided to become a knight, went to battle, and he was a bad knight. He got injured. He was hurt for a while. He couldn't go back to his job. But he heard the Lord's voice. Rebuild my church. And at first, Francis didn't know what this meant, so he did the only thing he knew how to do. He found an old church and started to rebuild it, brick by brick. And as he did that, he heard the voice of God again. Rebuild my church. And Francis, with nothing but a robe, no staff, no sandals, no money bag, understood finally that the Lord was calling him to rebuild his church spiritually. And he started a movement that transformed the church in Italy and the church around the world. Francis was an ordinary guy. He wasn't particularly good at what he did. But God used him and called him to change people. This brings us back to Jesus' command in verse 28. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into 
his harvest. My question for you, Christ Church, this morning is, do you do this? Do you pray earnestly to the Lord to raise up leaders, evangelists, missionaries, pastors, healers, teachers, preachers? The command is pretty specific. We are to pray earnestly. How can we expect the gospel to reach all nations if we're not praying for Jesus' co-labors, for him to call people to himself to join him? This is part of what happens every week during the prayers of the people when the church prays for all bishops and other ministers and all those who proclaim the gospel and all those who disciple others. But do you do this personally? Do you have a regular pattern in your prayer life of interceding for and lifting up leaders, asking God to bring people to his harvest? 20th century German theologian Emil Brunner said it best, the church lives by mission as a fire by flame. The church lives by mission as a fire by flame. It's true, the mission does not belong to the church, but Christians are responsible for fanning the flames of mission with their prayers. And where there is little praying, unsurprisingly, there is little mission. This brings us to our third and final who question. To whom are we missionaries sent? Look with me at Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. This marks a critical turning point in the lives of these 12 disciples. It says, these 12 Jesus sent out. Literally, these 12 are apostled. They are made into sent ones. This word apostle uh, requires a little explanation. See, all Christians are called to be disciples of our Lord Jesus. We are called to learn from his teaching, to conform ourselves to his image by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. But once we reach a certain level of maturity, we are then sent out. We are apostles on mission to the world. All Christians will be sent out and made apostles, but we must first be mature in our faith. And this is part of what's happening in the often misunderstood sacrament of confirmation. See, Christian discipleship, we all know, begins at baptism. We are made part of the family of God. We grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord. And then, at a certain point, when we reach a place of spiritual maturity, we are confirmed by a bishop, an apostle of the church, sent out to do the mission to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons. The church in her wisdom has apportioned two moments for this, a moment of discipleship and a moment of apostleship. We need both moments because we need to mature as Christians. And this brings us to the second reason Christians burn out on mission. A lot of the churches uh, in America, especially evangelical churches, they send people out on mission too soon. They take a baby Christian 
a new disciple, someone who can profess their faith and send them out as an apostle. Now, it's true that we are told in Scripture to always have a defense ready for our faith, but one would hope we would mature in our faith and grow to a place where we can join with the church on mission. There's an ancient wisdom here to the pattern of baptism and confirmation. We need both. But to get back to the original question, to whom are the apostles sent? Look with me at chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus looks out at the crowds and he has compassion on them. He's provoked to mission by compassion. This is a really important word in the Gospels. It occurs many different times. And every time we see the word compassion, it's at a critical moment in the story. Compassion is a feeling that provokes action. Those who have compassion feel what others feel. They're empathetic. But it's not enough just to feel it. You have to act on another person's behalf for it to be compassion. And similarly, it's not enough just to act on another person's behalf. You have to feel with them. Feeling and action go together. And this compassion provokes Jesus to mission. He looks out on the crowds and has compassion on them because they are harassed and helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. This implies that the crowds are vulnerable because their leaders have abandoned them. They've neglected to care for them. They've cared for their own needs and own desires. And so Jesus, his response is to raise up shepherds, leaders, those who can lead the crowds into the safety of his kingdom. In every generation, the apostle disciples of Jesus Christ are called to go out on mission to the harassed and helpless in our society. We're called to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to those who've been abandoned by, or worse yet, taken advantage of by their leaders. This, friends, is the true test of our mission. Are we going to the harassed and helpless? Too often, Christians like you and I, we seek out those who are just like ourselves. We understandably have compassion on those we can relate to, those who are in similar circumstances. And while it's true that all people need the gospel, Jesus directs his apostles to the harassed and helpless. Why? Because they are the most in need. Because they are the most receptive to his kingdom. Because they are unsafe. I think the biggest obstacle for you and I, for us ordinary disciples sent out on Jesus' mission, is our need to be safe. Mission to the harassed and helpless is dangerous. We want to be secure. It takes us to risk something, to go outside of our comfort zone to those who are different than us. Too often we choose to lay low, to stay comfortable, keep with what we know. That's safe, that's better. 
But the truth is that these harassed and helpless, they are more like us than we care to admit. These risky and dangerous people, they too are Jesus' sheep. They are both part of his harvest, but they are also potential co-laborers with us. We need them to join with us. Each one of us, like them, was lost. Each one of us was harassed and helpless. Do you remember? Or have you forgotten? Compassionate mission to the harassed and helpless is only possible if we first remember how we were harassed and helpless. If prayer fans the flames of mission, remembering our redemption is the fuel for mission. And that's exactly what we do around this table together every week. We remember what the Lord has done for us, how we were harassed and helpless, and how he came to our help. So who are the harassed and helpless in your life? Who in your life provokes compassion? Like these 12 apostles, the Lord is calling each one of us to be sent out on his mission into his harvest to seek the lost sheep. We must fan the flames of mission with prayer and we must remember how we have been redeemed together. So may we remember that today and so be sent out on mission. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.